0: Good morning. It's 2 minutes past 9. You're tuned to 102.73 R. time for this week's edition of Radio Marinara. We are the program of about all things wet and salty as always. My name's Bron Burton
1: and my name's Dr. Beach. Hi Dr. Beach. I'm very well. Excellent. Lovely to be back in the studio for 2022 yes. and to see your wonderful face, Bron.
0: Oh, and likewise,
1: and Tim and other people here and Rachel who's paneling for us today.
0: Hey Rachel. <laughs> Welcome to Marinara team. Great. She's looking resplendent. Of course, this is difficult because it's radio. You can't see what Rachel's wearing, but magnificent nautical themed
1: blue dress. It's yes, cool. it's got ships on there. There's waves. There's all sorts of stuff. Dolphins, and dolphins, seagulls. Hey, quiz question yesterday. What's the um our seagull? What we call a seagull? Yeah, in Victoria, Australia, colloquially, right? A seagull, right, is actually called a something else. Well, it's yeah. As opposed to a Pacific gull or a Blackback gull. Ah. Oh. Silver gull. Silver gull. Yes, Rachel. Wonderful.
0: <laughs> I think we'll get you on this side. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Over yeah. the <laughs> Couldn't work out where you were going with the question. Right, okay. <laughs> I don't want a Latin name. I'm going like, is it, are, are we talking about turns or? <laughs> I'm, I'm confused, I'm confused. There you go, silver gull.
1: Silver gull, there we, you go. And we just yep.
0: generically call them seagulls.
1: Yeah, that's right. Yeah. I'm just in a bit of a sort of. Holiday fuzz still, I think. Well, that's good. Yeah, doing that's quizzes. And all hang all on to that. that. Hang on to that.
2: Yeah.
0: Yeah. <laughs> hey, uh, thank you, Tim, very much for Vital Bits. Thank you, Andrew, very much for Soulful Bits. Very soulful this morning. And, uh, yeah, you can catch them both next Sunday and Tim on Saturday, six o'clock, for more Vital Bits.
1: Absolutely.
0: Why would you miss it? Yep. Hey, today's program, um, interesting mix today, Dr. Beach. It sure is, going always. We're going to be... Uh, shortly crossing to Queensland to speak with Professor Kerry Foxwell-Norton from Griffith University. Um, She has partnered up with uh, a woman from Monash University whose name is not in front of me, but I'll get it. Deb, 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 Deb. I will get it. Sorry, Deb, (laughs) because you're probably listening. Um, uh, Yeah, I'll get there in just a sec. And uh, they have done this amazing research project called The Women of the Great Barrier Reef, The Untold Stories of Environmental Conservation in Queensland. Uh, Deb Anderson. Sorry, Deb, if you're listening. Um, And so, yeah, really interesting research project that they've done and they're going to be doing a talk this coming Wednesday. Kerry's going to be doing a talk both in person, if you're listening from Queensland, particularly around – Brisbane
1: might be able to get in there yeah watch it live
0: but the good news is that anyone can join in because it's online as well it's being live streamed it's free you do need to register but she's going to be talking to us about this great project that that they've done the women of the Great Barrier Reef untold stories of environmental conservation in Queensland and focusing on a particular marine scientist from the 1960s called Terry Ridgway.
1: Terry Ridgway.
0: Do you know Terry Ridgway?
1: I have heard of Terry Ridgway. I don't know her well. Isabel Bennett and others very famous ones in Queensland. I'm looking forward to hearing about that. But the interesting thing about this exhibition is it's not just women scientists. It's women who have been involved in conservation in the Barrier Reef for a long time, for long the last time. several decades.
0: Yeah, and it extends beyond um, science work, as you rightly pointed out. So anyway, we'll be speaking uh, very shortly with Kerry Foxwell-Morton about that. We're then going to uh, cross uh, back down here to speak with Dave Donnelly from Killer Whales, Australia. and uh, We were talking about dolphins on Rachel's uh, dress. We're going to be talking about a recent stranding of a dolphin. Uh,
1: Williamstown, very... Um, yeah, very... I was about to say exciting, but it's not exciting for the dolphins. No, <laughs> but, and rescue and rescue. Yes, um,
0: but uh, Dave reckons there's, there's some interesting elements to this story. So, and I don't know what they are. So it'll be interesting to talk to him about that. But also, some baby orcas, Doctor Beach. What's not to love about a baby orca?
1: What's not to love about a baby orca? Particularly, we've got a baby in our family at the moment. We've got a new puppy too. <laughs> it just makes me. I, can't, I just can't. I just can't stop thinking about this new puppy.
0: <laughs> You're gushing about I'm your gushing. puppy.
1: Betty's her name. <laughs> Betty Beach.
0: Betty Peach, that's got to be the cutest puppy name I've ever heard. She
1: is the cutest puppy. And she's very intelligent. She's highly advanced, Bron.
0: Of course, <laughs> spoken. <laughs> she's like gifted. A proud parent, Dr. Peach. <laughs> <laughs> um, so but anyway, baby
1: orcas. Back to baby. Back orca. to baby
0: orcas. So we've um, got some new baby orcas, uh, and Dave's going to talk about them. Sightings in the bay, I believe, near Rye.
1: Down near Rye. Yeah. Wow. Awkward.
0: Pretty cool. Then we um, mentioned this on last week's program. L- Rob Lorenzen is a surfer, and he's also a friend of Marinara and a Triple R subscriber. And we've been corresponding with Rob pretty frequently, really, over the last few years via our Facebook Messenger um, uh, option. Okay. That's a tr- good <laughs> means of
1: communication in the Thank modern you. world.
0: Thank you. <laughs> Much more eloquent than me. Um, and. Rob often sends us photos from from his board in situ when he's out there on the water of all sorts of things that they've sort of been seeing and and, um, just little observations and anecdotes and so on with Rob, uh, with with Spike, his dog. Um, Anyway, he's written a book about... Uh, really it's his story of how Spike came into his world, Spike is his dog, uh, via the lost dog's home. And it's called Spike Surf's. And it's a really, it's very sweet. It's a kid's book, but really, you know, something everyone can get something out of. Impact of a winning combination of devotion and friendship and how Spike has gone from being really um, sitting in the lost dog's home in, you know, in those little tiny cages to becoming... The national surfing dog champion. The national surfing dog <laughs>
1: <laughs> Spike truly is gifted.
0: <laughs> yes. You're gonna to have to aim high for Betty Beach here.
1: I will. Yeah, yep. yep. Anyway, yeah, looking forward to talking to Rob about Spike. Yeah. It's fantastic. It's like- and then towards the end of the show, um, depending on how much time we've got left, <laughs> Dr. Beach doesn't mind getting squeezed to the end, we're gonna be talking talking about two polar expeditions, um, with the RV Polar Stern, uh the German vessel which is operating out of Bremerhaven, but one to the South Pole and one to the North Pole, looking at around 500 metres and various fantastic things they found down there in the southern end of the world. They found uh, the largest ever ice fish, garden of nests mm. twice the size of Paris. Incredible finding, wow. really beautiful. Huh. Describe that. There's nests which we well, talk about at the end of the show okay. and at the North Pole. Um, very interesting article in the ABC alluding to this paper which was published in Nature Communications um, where they have discovered the secret of how a beautiful sponge garden up in the Arctic again vast expanses of it no idea how it was surviving there in these normally very nutrient poor waters but the, the mystery has now been solved as to how we have these wonderful sponge gardens up there and of course they're talking about well, not of course, but as one does, when you find an area like this, you're talking about conserving it and expanding our marine conservation areas. But that's, yeah, at the latter end of the show.
0: Cool. Hey, speaking of um, we should do a quick weather um, summary. A little
1: quick weather. It's good. Yeah, it's going to be hot, 34 degrees today, 34 degrees tomorrow in Melbourne time, town as well. Um, and then it's going to be cooling down to around 25 on Tuesday, 27, 25, 25. So mid-20s during the week, but certainly hot tomorrow as well. Very windy for those of you who have been out there already and seen the wind. Um... Pride March today down Gertrude Street. Looking forward to that. Hope it's not too hot and windy for that. A uh, bit of music and stuff happening. So get out and check that out. Um, for those of you who are heading out on the, wall a little, little bit of rain, maybe a bit of rain midweek, but less than five mils in Melbourne. And if you're heading out on the water, you'll be wanting to know what's happening with the tides. And in fact, it was um, high tide at Point Lonsdale 20 minutes ago, and it's going to be a low tide at around three o'clock.
0: Cool. Thanks, Dr Beach. Pleasure. You are listening to Radio Marinara here on 3 RR. Now, this coming Wednesday, the State Library of Queensland hosts a free in-person and online event called The Women of the Great Barrier Reef, Untold Stories of Environmental Conservation in Queensland. It's part of the library's Research Reveal series that showcases winners of the 2020 Queensland Memory Awards. This week's presentation will be given by Monash University's Dr Deb Anderson and Griffith University's Associate Professor Kerry Foxwell-Norton, the 2020 John Oxley Library Fellows. The talk will follow uh, focus on the story of Terry Ridgeway, who at the age of 19 in 1966 quit her typing pool job in Brisbane and moved to a remote island in the Great Barrier Reef to study fish all on her own. To tell us about this week's talk, the research project and the amazing contribution of Terry Ridgeway to marine science in the Great Barrier Reef, we welcome from Griffith University, Professor Kerry Foxwell-Norton. Good morning, Kerry. Welcome to Radio Marinara and to Triple R. Good morning, Sean.
3: Um, good morning to you and to your listeners and thank you very much for having me
0: oh look it's a great pleasure and first up i wanted to give a shout out and thanks to tom jordan from the state library of queensland um, because he brought your work and your talk to our attention only a few days ago otherwise we wouldn't have known about it so thanks tom if you're listening um yeah really it was great to hear from you um congratulations uh to you kerry and to your research partner deb anderson on being the 2020 winners of the john oxley library fellowship um I thought I might ask with a question about the fellowship and what it means for you both to have been awarded it.
3: Yeah, well, um, I guess uh, the, obviously the state library is a a wonderful reservoir of um, historical material, historical record, but also an important site where you know we can add to um, that historical record through the library. So there's that element, on, and you know the, the, the honour, of course, of being the John Oxley Library Fellowships, but there's also the opportunity to develop this project idea and have funding and support from the wonderful team at, um, at John Oxley and the State Library of Queensland to undertake this work. So it's meant an enormous amount to, uh, to Deb and myself. Uh, um, the Great Barrier Reef often a lot of the funding, well often the vast, vast majority of the funding goes to um, really important science work on the Great Barrier Reef so as a humanities um, art Social sciences scholars who often struggle to find um, support for work that brings different ways of knowing the reef um, to uh, to sc- to reach scholarship. So it has that you know broader impact of funding um, uh, uh, has humanities, arts, and social sciences scholarship. So a lot of things
0: gone. And it's a, it's a really important puzzle piece that this work has really created, isn't it? When you think about it, it's all this amazing work that's been done by, um, as as the project title says, women of the Great Barrier Reef, untold stories of environmental conservation. Um, what did you seek to do with this work? How did, how did it all begin when you um, sort of had the idea? How did it all start?
3: Um, well, I was working on an article with uh, a colleague in Tasmania, Libby Lester about the different sort of media context for the Save the Reef campaign in the 1960s and the more fight for the Reef campaign. And in doing that, uh, Judith Wright in her book, The Coral Battleground, um, credits Barry Wayne with um, his faithful coverage of bringing the Save the Reef campaign to um, the National. And so I'm madly, you know, Googling Barry Wayne and I happen to come across these articles, it only appeared in this sort of obscure um, regional US, US United States, um, about this uh, girl, Robinson Crusoe, as he was calling her, Terry Ridgeway, and um, Terry had left her, according to Barry, left her uh, typing pool job in like, late 1960s um, Queensland, um, a, a particularly difficult uh, time in Queensland's history in terms. You know, um, it's progressive politics on women in that Bianchi Peterson era. And um, that's her typing pool job and gone to uh, live in a remote uh, Great Barrier Reef Island to think and study fish. And I was reading about Terry at the time, and, you know, th- the first thing was, who the hell is Terry Ridgeway and where did she go? You know, what happened to her? And then the second question is, and who are our other women of the reef? Know, um, and what stories have they got to tell so that was the genesis for that project idea and then joined by my by, um, by uh, Dr. Ed Anderson who is kindred and who is um, you know passionate and dedicated also to this pro- project and really understands so together we formed this um, team of um, researchers who are gathering those stories and bring to the library and more broadly to um, our understanding of what is and what's happened
1: um, on the Great Barrier Reef, Kerry. It's Dr. Beach here. This is a wonderful um, exhibition you're putting forward. There's so often these stories are lost, and people just don't know about them. As you said, you had to pick this up. You picked this up in, from some, a US journal or a US magazine or something. And there's there's other characters as well, aren't there? I know that you're talking about so Terry Ridgway. Um, Isabel Bennett, another one of my heroes, um, the Barrier Reef. It's a really wonderful thing. I'd love to be getting up there to see it in person. But, of course, you can, we can do it, it. It's virtual as well, isn't it?
3: Um, the Great Barrier Reef, to go and see the Great Barrier Reef virtually.
1: But No, 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 sorry. The talk on Wednesday. The talk on Wednesday, the, the, on
3: Wednesday, the, exhibit, oh, the exhibition, yeah. Oh, sorry, just like confusion. Excuse me. It is Sunday morning. Yes, that's correct. You can watch. You can tune in online. And this is um, the State Library of Queensland has... Uh, you know, allowed us to progress this project to a point where we are speaking at the State Library of Queensland uh, Research Reveals events. I'm speaking to you this morning, and so, um, you know, in terms of progress and allowing us to uh, further this project, it's just been absolutely invaluable. Um, I can't, I, I really cannot express um, how um, how grateful we are for the John Uxley Library uh, Fellowship and what it has meant for this work.
0: When you started with the work, Kerry, were you aware of how many women had been active in marine science and conservation through the 60s, particularly on the Barrier Reef?
3: Well, well, I mean, that was the question that sort of prompted um, the exploration. And I can assure you that by now I am more than aware of the mm-hmm. many uh, marine scientists who have been involved in the, um, in the care and conservation of the Great Barrier Reef and made extraordinary uh, contributions. But I guess uh, um, part of the, the, the Women of the Reef is to uh, highlight the achievements of women in domains that are traditionally and have been dominated by uh, male voices. And, um, you know, the, the places of industry, politics and science and there's no, you know, that, that there's no surprise there. So to bring their voices and their stories to the Great Barrier Reef in ways that celebrate their expertise and their authority. But their whole life experience um, is about um, the Great Barrier Reef and much, much more. You know, the Great Barrier Reef carries a lot of, um, of our, um, our cultural imagination and bringing the achievements of scientists and all those other elements, the poets, the authors, the artists, the bureaucrats, the politicians, the cane growers, the spearfishers, Um, to the Great Barrier Reef um, means that we begin to tell and think about the reef a little bit differently. And I'd argue that that's critical at this point in time.
0: Now, um, can you tell us a little bit about Terry Ridgeway just in the the couple of minutes that we have left so people can have an understanding of what they uh, can expect if if they go along to your presentation on Wednesday?
3: Uh, Terry Ridgeway, so I... the, the project gets up and um, one of the an ABC journalist, Shelley Lloyd, um, finds Terry ironically enough because I hadn't Terry spelt with an IE when my own name Kerry is spelt like an um, with an IE. So, you know, you think you're smart and then you're not. And anyway, so she's found Terry and I find myself, you know, after five or six years going to people do you know Terry Ridgeway? Do you know, you know, booking and going to the Fryer Library and all these libraries. I'm on the phone with her. And she is everything. She's everything. She's better than I could have imagined. You know, she is fierce. She's intelligent. She is passionate. And she has spent her entire life committed to the protection of ecologies. You know, at one point, the reef, she sailed the reef or, you know, reefs, reefs and oceans for 20 years um, after her experience of being on um, Northwest Island, which was that remote island that she lived on for a time. And she continues that, uh, that fine, um, passionate dedication to um, environments and colleges and nature with her current work um, and uh, taking care of flying foxes. So, I mean, there's a wonderful story there about, about Terry and how she came to Northwest Island and why she left. And, um, yeah, I'm looking forward to telling that story on Wednesday night. And a whole host of other stories. And from... What happens, though? What I'm finding, Deb and I are finding, is that the more stories we collect, the more you begin to notice synergies and and things that these stories have in common. And um, as part our presentation on Wednesday night, we're going to begin to tell Terry's story, but how um, the threads of women of the Great Barrier Reef have become connected in that um, in that storytelling. It's it's, it's, it's quite one and
0: uh, I'd like to thank Matt. And how symbolic, given the nature of the reef itself, there's a really nice sort of parallel narrative running here. So it's uh, the presentation is called Women of the Great Barrier Reef. It's presented through Eventbrite. You can pick up tickets. The tickets are free. You just need to register so you can get the appropriate link um, so that you can uh, join at the appropriate time. So this coming Wednesday, 16th of February from 6 till 7. Uh, if you're listening in Queensland, it's um, it's at the State Library Auditorium 1 Level 2 for for those who might be listening in Brisbane, but for everybody else, uh, yeah, you can pick up those tickets through Eventbrite. We'll put a link to that on our Facebook page, and make it nice and easy for people to find. Thanks, Kerry. It's been wonderful speaking with you, and um, all the very best, and, and good luck with uh, the presentation on Wednesday.
3: Thanks very much, Bron and Dr. Beach, uh, and to your listeners. and Happy Sunday, everyone. Have a good day.
1: Great. Thanks. You, you too up there in Queensland. Nice to speak to you. Thanks, Kerry. Yeah. Bye.
0: Okay, bye for now. Kerry Foxwell-Norton um, from Griffith University, Women of the Great Barrier Reef. Welcome to Radio Maranara here on 3RRR. Without further ado, we are now going to be joined on our program by Dave Donnelly from Killer Wales, Australia. Good morning, Dave.
4: Good morning, Drs. Bron and Beach. How are we?
1: Pretty good. How are you going, Dave? Oh, excellent. Always excellent. Thank you, Dr. Beach. Nice
4: to hear you.
0: Hey, great to have you back with us, Dave. This is your first program back with us for 2022.
4: It certainly is, and uh, it's uh, it's very exciting to think that um, cause 2022 is going to look a lot brighter than our previous couple of years. So I'm very excited to maybe even come into the studio sometime uh, during the course of the next few months.
0: Yeah, we would love that too. Hey, let's get right into it. Um, where will we start? Let's start with baby orcas, because really, as we said at the start of the program, what's not to love about a baby orca?
4: Exactly. Look, um, killer whales on the east coast of Australia, as we discussed before, extremely hard to study. They're highly mobile, they're always moving around the place and uh, they cover vast distances. Um, and the, of course the ocean is quite big, I think you've probably already noticed that. Um, so we, we find it very hard to study killer whales. So, so when we do get information about new calves being born, it's incredibly exciting, because, we, especially when we can assign it to a, to a female that we know. And that's exactly what's happened over the last couple of months. We've had at least um, one new calf born, which was filmed just off Rye Back Beach, actually, which is very close to home.
0: How exciting. How was that moment for you? uh,
4: It's it's fantastic. I mean, obviously... uh, as people who study animals, we always want to know more and we can never get enough. Um, and I can't quite tell you who the mother of that calf is, unfortunately. But the story is not the same for the second calf, which was born the, actually born the previous year. Um, and one of the things with cetaceans, whales and dolphins, is that they the, the, the first sort of three years or so, particularly for small uh, odontocetes or toothed whales and dolphins, they're really critical in terms of survival. And it's not always the case that they um, they survive through that first uh, one to three years. So when you see an animal that has survived and is doing well, it's incredibly encouraging, particularly when we see over in WA um, a couple of records of calves not quite making it through that first 12 months and looking pretty poorly. But uh, we're very, very lucky to say that uh, a, a female known as Square Notch, uh, we've actually got Square Notch 1, 2 and 3, but it's Square Notch uh, 1 showed up uh, almost where she was photographed the year before with the newborn calf with the same calf doing exceptionally well putting on weight and looking great so we're really excited by that.
1: Dave I was just about to ask you how do you recognise the calves from year to year and the whales from year to year but I think you've answered my question with the name Square Dodge is a yeah, quite a descriptive moniker.
4: Absolutely, she's a uh, she's a bit of a regular to the Port Phillip Heads region. Every summer we we uh, we get a report, not maybe not every summer, but certainly regularly, we do see her show up along the coast here. And um, the, the calf itself—it's a good question, Dr. Beach, because calves, as we all know, they change so much you know, in a very short period of time. But what we do know about the calves, the killer whale calves, is their eye patches stay the same shape. Uh, So what we've got here is an animal with an eye patch we can use because the head was above the water in the first photograph and one year later the head was above the water in the next photograph. So we're able to say there are three features, the dorsal fin looks similar. the eye patch is the same and it's with the same adult female. So three features means that we're pretty confident that's the same calf. In fact, we're very confident.
0: That's so cool. Hey, uh, can we move on to talk a little bit? i uh, put a photo of that on our Facebook page too if people want to see it. The the image that I used was of the calf you mentioned that was born uh, in about 18 months ago. So um, the photo was taken uh, in the waters of off Tasmania somewhere. So, uh, yeah, go and check that one out. Um, can we talk a little bit about this dolphin stranding? off Williamstown, is that right?
4: Yeah, that's, a, that's another interesting one. Um, this time of year, we expect the bottlenose dolphins that, that reside in Port Phillip to be in the southern reaches of the bay. It doesn't mean they can't stretch up into other areas, but for the most part, they're in the southern reaches of the bay. Um, this animal, uh, to my understanding, I didn't attend this stranding, was um, a, a very old-looking animal. It was uh, floundering in the shallows at Williamstown and was found by a kayaker, I believe, Um, My my understanding is a response uh, was initiated through DELP, which involved Parks Victoria and and the the police, Water Police, I'm assuming, um, whereby they were able to refloat that animal with the uh, Marine Rescue Unit at Melbourne Zoo and, uh, and, and get that animal off the mud banks. Now, I guess the question we have around this is that We need to use this as a learning opportunity. Um, One, techniques, of course, is a very important thing to to consider when we're moving into the future. But also, who is this animal? Which one is it out of our population? Is it an old animal that's not doing so well? Is it a young animal that's chase some prey into the shallows? Uh, what was its health like? How long was it in care? These are sort of questions that would be really great to know the answers to, to apply to our knowledge and understanding of our dolphins in Port Phillip. So um, what we're hoping to do from here on in is to bring that information together, uh, assign it to the animal in the catalogue or the, the photo identification catalogue, if in fact it is in there, and, uh, and then we can track its movements if it does survive this event.
0: If people uh, do find a dolphin stranding or a dolphin in distress, what's the best thing that they can do, Dave?
4: Uh, The best thing you can do is ring the DELP um, Whale and and Dolphin Emergency Hotline. I don't have a number in front of me right now. I should have, shouldn't I? Um, It's a 1300 number, but if you look up on the DELP website, you'll find the Whale and Dolphin Emergency Hotline, and that's for entanglements and strandings. It doesn't include things like seals, um, but it does include whales and dolphin strandings, and vessel
0: strike. We'll look that one up and we can uh, make an announcement on that. I know we've mentioned it before on the program um, a while ago, but we'll uh, we'll look that one up and we can announce that one. Hey, thanks, Dave. It's been great catching up with you and uh, look forward to doing it again really soon and, as you say, hopefully get you in studio sometime before too long.
4: Love to do that. Looking forward to it.
0: Okay. Thanks, Dave. Bye for now.
4: Good night. Goodbye. See, See you, Dave.
0: See ya. Dave Donnelly there, Killer Whales Australia.
1: Very and- cute. Yeah, Killer Whale. Baby Killer Whales.
0: They're so
1: That's cute. A, and good story about the dolphins getting rescued off Williamstown. Yeah. Really nice to see um community efforts there and people alerting the the relevant people. And um, as you heard Dave say, if you do see any animals in distress, particularly cetaceans, call the um, the DELP phone number, which is, we actually have now, which is 1300 136017. Thanks to Rachel for bringing that up.
0: Cheers. Thanks, Rachel. 9, 20, uh, 35, 25 minutes to 10, you're listening to Radio Marinara here on 3RRR. In just a moment, we're going to be speaking with Rob Lorenzen about his wonderful book, Spike Surf's, and his great relationship with his dog, Spike. We'll talk about that in just a moment. Before we do, we're going to play a track and wanting to give a very big plug and shout-out to an event happening next Saturday, 19th of February, Music in the Manners, uh, as in M-A-N-N-A-S, uh, not...
1: As in large house, as in um, watch your manners. what well, well, not watch your manners, think, but as in a big house.
0: I think manna Gums.
1: Oh, oh, M-A-N-N-A-H. Sorry, I was, yeah, you said that. see M-A-N-O-R. <laughs> That's a few ways that matters.
0: Yeah. Yes. Manor Gums. In the Gums. Man- yes, in Manor Gums. Music in the <laughs> manners. <laughs> Bring your manners. Um, this is really great. It's a fundraiser for the Thin Green Line Foundation and they've got this wonderful event happening next Saturday, 19th of February from one thirty till 6.30. So it's an all-afternoon affair uh, live. Music event featuring celebrated artists Dan Sultan, Nikki Bomba, plus local acts, uh Carissa Nyalu, Marty Williams, who we love and is a big friend of Marinara, uh, DJ Centipede and the Earthworm, all performing amongst the Manigums on a beautiful property in Balnaring. Funds raised will go towards a music programme for Matu Rangers in the Western Desert. Tickets are limited, so make sure that you book now. Um, we'll put uh, – I've already – no, I haven't. I will put a link to that on our Facebook page. And uh, wanting to play some Dan Sultan, who will be playing next weekend. What a wonderful thing to do next Saturday. Go and sit under some gums and watch Dan Sultan and Nikki Bombo and all the other great-ass playing.
1: Sounds beautiful.
0: Now, surfer Rob Lorenzen was on the lookout for a new companion when he arrived at the Lost Dogs Home in North Melbourne and met Spike, a misunderstood dog down on his luck and just looking for the right person to come along and help him reach his potential. Well, Spike went on to not only become Rob's best mate, but his surfing companion and ultimately a national dog surfing champion. Yes, you heard right. There is a national dog surfing championship, but more on that in a minute. (laughs) Spike. (laughs) surfers. Surf's e- Spike Surf's is Rob's and Spike's story of the impact of a winning combination of devotion and friendship. To tell us all about it, it's with great pleasure we welcome surfer, author, triple R subscriber and friend of Radio Maranara, Rob Lorenzen. Good morning, Rob.
2: Good good morning to you, Bron. What an introduction. Thank you very much. I'm very humbled.
0: (laughs) Not at all. And and Dr. Beach is here with me as well. And
2: good morning, Dr. Beach.
1: Good morning, Rob. Just loving this story. I I don't know if you heard the beginning of the show, but I was banging on about us getting a new puppy, so so I, for one, am really looking forward to this dog story. And I'm looking at pictures of Spike at the moment in this beautiful little book that you've assembled and have now published.
2: Thank you, Dr. Beach. Yeah. Thank you. It's, it's been a, it's been a, an interesting um, challenge, and uh, I'm really proud and uh, to have the opportunity to tell Spike's story. And it's uh, it's, it's an interesting one, and uh, I really do feel uh, a pride in Spike, and that he has a story to tell, and it's one that is of interest to uh, very young children, young learners and and all of us. It has some great life lessons in there about um, dogs and pet ownership, rescue animals, courage, love and companion animals and surfing.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Something for everyone, hey?
2: Exactly. Yeah, Thank
0: you. and ultimately, this is a story of hope, which we need right now, and um, you know everybody needs hope. I think it, you know often try not to talk in universals, but I think that is one that we can uh, we can absolutely say. Um, wanted to give some background for our listeners because you started corresponding with us via our Facebook page some years ago and telling us about yes. some sightings of the things that you and Spike were both seeing on your <laughs> on your board from around the yes. bay um, when you've been out paddling and you, I was having a yes. look through the archives. You sent us a photo of a sunfish a few years ago that you spotted.
2: Yes, yes. Uh, actually that was down at, um, that was a stranding at Mallacoota. Um We ventured down there in uh, mid-2020 just out of um, one lockdown just before another and um, spike was wandering up the beach and uh, he's very curious he's like me and he ran up ahead because there was a very strong smell of something on the beach and there was the the big um, the big stranded sunfish um, its eye its mouth open and I just caught up and spike was just looking at the animal in its eye the uh, the the sunfish was on its side it was stranded at the high tide line and he was kind of stroking and exploring the skin of the the sunfish it's very rough texture and kind of looking at me and saying it was very interesting yeah and I, i must thank you and the radio marinara team because um during the lockdown you kept me informed uh, and interested in marine life that was outside my five-kilometre lockdown microhabitat, little pond, and you kept us all informed and um, interested. And I'm very grateful to you and the Maranara team for, for that, Ronan.
1: Rob, it's our complete pleasure and it's so lovely for you to say that. Thank you very much. But yeah, for us, it was a bit of a fillip as well to get us all through lockdowns.
0: That's right. Hey, uh, Rob, let's get into Spike's story, which is really the subject of this gorgeous book. Can you just talk us through how you met Spike at the Lost Dogs Home?
2: Well, I I was very keen to... uh have a companion animal. I, uh, my son and I, we were, we'd were we agreed we wanted a dog and we'd been to various shelters. And eventually we ended up at the lost dog's home. And um, there are many, many dogs there. I think they'd adopted out about 127 dogs that weekend. It was some kind of record back then. That was um, 12 years ago. And we came across this one particular dog that was very enthusiastic, sort of jumping, sort of saying, look at me, look at me, look at me. And uh, that was the dog we, we connected with and kind of connected with us. And we were very pleased to adopt Spike. He's a very unusual dog. He he has a distinct Ridgeback um fur line on his back, it's quite distinct and I think it's probably something that maybe put people off he's not a, a purebred dog he's a mixture of many breeds, it looks like border collie staffy arab, but he's got this big distinct ridge back and as I uh, over the last couple of uh, couple of years later I started to realise perhaps he's Part penguin because he really <laughs> took to the water. He's a very interesting dog. He just had to be everywhere we were. Um, he was a very insecure dog at first. He was very, probably spent a lot of time um, at the dog's home. Uh, probably not a, a popular choice for many people because he's a, a cross and. Um, he showed loyalty, but he also showed a fear of being left alone um, on the beach. Whenever we went swimming, um, he would stay on the beach. Then after a while, he started to venture into the water and to our surprise, he started to um, swim. And one day he got off the leash when we were surfing and we uh, <laughs> we were looking for him desperately on the beach. And there he was out in the surf, um, looking out the back. I think we were out the back at Shoreham's uh, at the Pines and there he was sitting up on someone's surfboard and <laughs> someone bringing him into the beach. It was quite extraordinary to see.
0: And was it at he that then, moment that you realised that he yeah. could actually surf? That there was he had the ability to actually stand on the board and ride on a wave?
2: Well, whenever he saw on the beach, he would go and stand on it and start barking. That was the thing with the helicopter tail wag. So then I had to buy him his own surfboard, of course, <laughs> and, um, and put grip on it. So it was quite a quite a, a transition. Um, I then, yeah, it was it's a fabulous thing to then uh, be able to go surfing with your with your buddy and uh, watching him watch the surfers and uh, it. it And one thing led to another, and we surfed many places. I became um, very interested in... I've I've been looking through the surf mags and seeing, gee, there's a dog surfing competition up at Noosa. (laughs) Hey, maybe we could go check that out. So um, we entered, Spike was accepted, and this... He was the mystery dog from down south who searched <laughs> the mystery breaks of the Great Ocean Road. It was, a, it was a fabulous story, Dr. Beach.
1: He's a dog from Bell's.
2: Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Rob, I'm looking,
1: as I mentioned before, you've got this beautiful little picture book which um, you've put out, which um, I want to you. ask you about how I can buy one later on. Um, but Certainly. I'm looking at a picture now in the middle. And it's a lovely photo of Spike on the board with you as well. And there's not only pictures, but there's a few of Spike's words you've put in here as well. So I I prefer to be in front of Rob, just so I can look after him. (laughs) But he hates my bum in his face. Sometimes Rob stands on my tail, but I don't mind. We're together.
2: (laughs) Uh, That's true, Dr Beach. When I I started pushing him on waves, I got really sick of having to... uh, swim down the beach maybe two or three hundred metres down the beach to retrieve him and bring him out. So I tried to get on the back of the board lying down and of course Spike would want to be in front, he'd put his tail up and rub his thumb in my face and it's not terribly (laughs) 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 hygienic.
1: But Bron is is doing this beautiful wincing
2: look on her face
1: (laughs) I I think we all know what you're talking about.
2: But tried to use words that are suitable for Uh, for children and early learners, reluctant readers. There's big font speech bubbles and tried to make it good for the the youngsters and for it to be inspiring. And look, I'm really grateful to the the publishers, Wild Dog Books, they produce some fabulous titles. Um, I'm grateful to the publishers, particularly Marianne um, Valentine, for hearing Spike's voice and making this story a reality, saying it won't be a novelty, it's got to have substance, it's got to be about animal welfare and social issues. And there are, there are teachers' notes that go with it as a PDF for discussion in class about lots of things. So they, they produce lots of good titles about... Um, Climate change a book called Earth Matters, You Matter. There's a great book about the penguins at St. Kilda called The Accidental Penguin Hotel. It's it, it, privilege to be involved, and I'm grateful. Yeah.
0: What we might do, Rob, um, because I'm just looking at the time and um, we've got some science that we need to cover with Dr Beach. Certainly. You're about to head up to Noosa for um, the next dog surfing championship. So, um Great. And that's in a few weeks' time. So will you come back on the show um, and talk about that? Because I really want to get into the whole idea of a dog surfing scene, what, what it's all about. Is it a bit like Best in Show? I'm assuming it's <laughs> not, <laughs> but you never know. But oh. will you come back on and talk to us about the, the dog surfing championships and uh, and hopefully Spike will be the re- oh. re- come back as a uh, <laughs> as a champion.
2: Again. I'd love to and I look forward to it and I I know that they're looking to bring in a junior level this year for the kids to take their dogs out and uh, and I, I just before we go I'd just like to say the book's available from um, your favourite bookshop and through Wild Dog Books online. Um, just Google Spike search. And also, I also want to thank one of your um, listeners and friends, Mick Sari, down at Janjuk. He gave me a lot of push and confidence to go ahead with this story. So thank you, Mick. That's
0: nothing. Oh, fantastic. All roads lead to Mick Sowery. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> on your Mick. He's a very good friend of, of yeah. us here at Marinara. Hey, Rob, it's been a delight speaking with you. Um, I've already put the links on our Facebook page um, to where you can pick up a copy of Spike Surf's through simonshuster.com. And, um, and uh, yeah, we'll get you back on the show in a couple of weeks and talk about um, dog surfing championships in Noosa
2: look forward to it. Thank you, Dr. Bron. Thank you, Dr. Beach, and regards to Betty Beach, too. Look forward to meeting
1: <laughs> Thanks, Rob. It's been completely <laughs> okay. delightful, and um, yeah, all the best, and big hi to Spike from us here.
2: Yeah. Thank you. He's at my left foot right now. No, I'm sure yeah. he is.
0: Good boy. He's Good alert boy. to the worst. <laughs> all best. Thank you, everyone. We'll catch you soon. Bye. Bye. Rob Lorenzen there.
1: I'm almost in tears of delight. <laughs> so beautiful.
0: It's such a great story. Um, we've put a link to that, as I said, on our Facebook page, Spike Surf's.
1: And highly it to everyone, um, not only if you've got kids, uh, but just anyone who likes dogs or anyone who likes a good story.
0: Dr Beach.
1: Ah, Dr Burton, Brom Burton. <laughs> yeah. We've talked about the RV investigator a couple of times on this show. This is the Australian Research Vessel, which goes to all sorts of places in the Southern Hemisphere. And I thought I'd talk today about another... Ship and this is the RV Polish Dan. So, this, um, you might go find the name Polish Star Polish Dan, um, it's a German vessel outside out of Bremerhaven, um, that from the um. Alfred Wegener Institute, two really interesting papers have appeared recently. The one that first uh, caught my attention uh, under a research highlight was entitled, Vast Fish Breeding Colony is More Than Twice the Size of Paris. And I thought, sometimes I see things like that in the journals, I think that's one for marinara. This is Jonah's Ice Fish. Jonah's Ice Fish is about 40 centimetres in length. Um, They build nests, as some fish do, to protect their eggs. It's the male that looks after the eggs deposits the the eggs on the sea floor and this is around 500 meters below the surface um, down in Antarctica so Jonah's ice fish as you imagine lives deep in the southern um, southern extremes side sand scona, we have wrecks on this show talking about archaeology looking for wrecks and all of that um, biologists other oceanographers also use these materials these methods to, to observe what's happening Um they were looking at this particular area, the people on this ship, on the, um, the RV Polish stand. This was a few years ago. Um, and they were particularly interested in a trough in the Weddell Sea where there was two degree increase in temperature compared to the rest of the surrounding area. I won't go into why the temperature is a little bit warmer there, but it's a natural thing. And they thought, what's down there? Stuck the um, observation material down there and were really surprised to see this colony of ice fish A huge colony, twice the size of Paris. They reckon there's 25 million of these nests there. And Bron and I are looking at one of these videos at the moment, and you can see this. This was uh, recently published in Nature. So if you go to vast fish breeding colonies, more than twice the size of Paris, you will get it up. And you'll see this video where they're showing these dinner-shaped kind of large dinner plate sized nests from above and you can see the fish in the middle and they're protecting their eggs but it's a really beautiful thing, fantastic um, example of what people can see when they look. Um, This is a hitherto undescribed, unknown colony of ice fish, something which is very important to protect particularly as we head towards um, increasing temperatures over the globe just really quickly I know we've only got a minute left but there was also um, a paper appearing in Nature Communications from the um, or Current Biology I think this was um, from the current from this same group looking at um, a sponge garden in the north Uh, but you can all go to the ABC and I'm going to give a bit of a plug here for the ABC Nick Kelvert K-I-L-V-E-T wrote a wonderful article about this on February the 9th. because I can hear the music in the background. (laughs) But, yeah, been a fun show today. Um,
0: We'll have a look at that and put some links to that on our Facebook page, I reckon, Dr Beach. So fish breeding colony twice the size of Paris in nature and...
1: Actually in current biology, but biology. but alluded to in nature.
0: All right, no worries. Hey, thanks, Dr Beach. Pleasure. That was great. Uh, Thanks to all our guests today, uh, Rob Lorenzen, Dave Donnelly, Kerry Foxwell-Norton. There's a whole bunch of links already on our Facebook page. We'll put some more up. Uh, And uh, on next week's program, Farm will be in along with Rex and we'll be speaking with Prue Francis again about ocean literacy. She's got a series of uh, segments coming up this year talking about the different principles of ocean literacy and covering one each time. So really looking forward to that. And uh, thank you so much, Rachel, for panelling for us today. And thank you, Dr Beach.
1: Always a pleasure.
0: Stay tuned for radio therapy. Prudence, dear panel beater, and Dr. Nick will take you through to eleven when Dr. Shane and his crew will take you through to twelve when Cam and Matt will take you through to one and on and on we go through this wonderful day of Sunday programming here at Triple R.
1: Enjoy the day. It's going to be a hot one. Just try
0: and try and stay cool. <laughs> Catch you next week for more Marinara. Bye for now. Hi, this is Bron Burton. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Triple R's Radio Marinara, a weekly radio show exploring all things wet and salty. Broadcast live on Triple R from Melbourne, Australia, every Sunday. Hope you enjoy the podcast and feel free to get in touch with us via Radio Marinara's Facebook page.